1: Welcome in to another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic podcast. It's football and random things. We're uh, starting our football and random things a little bit earlier than I think we had probably initially planned. But uh, hello, Jeff Woody. You're back from your honeymoon. You've been gone for the last two weeks. Uh, You haven't missed anything.
0: So my wife's cousin was supposed to get married in 2020 and getting married to a Sicilian man. And so we're going to have a wedding in Sicily. Now it was supposed to be in 2020, but COVID no, it was supposed to be in 2021, but COVID. And then it was in 2022 and my wife and I got married in September. So we just kind of said, we're going to be over there anyway. We're going to call this our honeymoon because it's a good excuse to like say I'm going on my honeymoon and no one's going to send you an email so she can actually like take time off work. And uh, then we're going to go to the wedding. So we spent 10 days by ourselves and then four days with the wedding and kind of afterwards with the family. And I'm in Italy with very loose internet. I leave for two weeks with a loose ability to keep track of things and the entire world has come apart and looks like it's sort of trying to stitch itself back together, but only in the kind of way that you can sort of stitch like two different colors of Play-Doh together where they're not ever going to totally match back. They're just going to be two slightly different colors kind of always. So that's never going to be one thing. It's just two mushed together things. So uh, yeah, I mean, I think football and random things. We were talking about it before I left. We're like, once we come back, we'll do kind of the position breakdowns and be able to actually like look at the football part of football. And then this all happens. So this is much more random things with a touch of football than it is football with a touch of random things. I do think there
1: are some interesting football discussions to be had with all of this stuff, but yeah, I mean, I think most of it is procedural. It's procedural bullshit, dude. like that, I don't know. Like, I can't. I'm having a hard time with where I land on this because I think, as an like as an Iowa State person, as someone obviously who's connected to the success of Iowa State athletics on some level, I'm not as concerned as I was last year
0: when or Oklahoma even in and other or even in other rounds of realignment, where where I think one of the things about your mark and Williams, and so let me take backstride for just a second. I'm gonna self pat on the back, Cyclone fanatic, because. There's a few things that Chris Williams does really, really well. One is drink bush light. And two is provide behind the curtain adv- uh, of how the underpinnings of most things work. So you can at least relatively understand what the point of view of the person is who's making that decision. So you can kind of color it. So like the, an example I like to use is like, I like watching most sports but I like watching sports a lot more when either I have a a knowledge of what the sport is, or I'm with someone who does. So like the, there was a world cup that happened back when I was in college. And I watched a lot of the games with Cole Netton because Cole played soccer. And so he could kind of give advice of like, Oh, this is, this person up here is providing context. And so even though, It might be an own goal or something like that. Like it's an, it's an unarguably bad thing. You can sort of understand that that person is not inherently trying to kick a ball in their own net, you know, like you can see what they're trying to do. And so a lot of times with stuff like this, take it back to Chris, a lot of the decisions may not be good decisions. Like ultimately on the whole, but they can be made justifiable and understandable by being in the shoes of the person who's making them. And that's the thing that Chris and Cyclone Fanatic have done really well through a lot of these pretty convoluted things, just because there is, you have to understand the business before you can understand the decisions that are being made in the business. So, um, I mean, if you're not a premium subscriber, or a Patreon subscriber, I would very highly recommend that just because, especially as these things are going on, you're going to get a lot of bad information and Chris will be a, do a really good job of distilling that information before you get going so that is one thing like just a self-pat on the back of Psychophonic about doing a really good job of keeping everything for the most part sifting through the bullshit before you actually get to what you really need to know
1: I think the thing that I'm proud of Chris the most for is that he helps people understand how much gray area there is in a lot of these discussions yeah you know I think that there's just there are a lot of okay there's a lot of layers to this conversation. A lot of things, like I have a lot of thoughts. I haven't really talked about this a lot on a podcast, but my biggest thing is I think that you have a lot of people in college athletics who make reactionary decisions. And I'm not saying reactionary in like the moment of it's like, Oh, I woke up today. Let's go to the big 10. You know, Uh like I'm not saying like that, but like, I think that when you're thinking in a business that is somewhat, uh Volatile, I guess you could is one way to put it. You know, like two weeks is a pretty reactionary decision to make to make changes like that in a world that more or less bureaucratically moves ridiculously slow. You mm-hmm. know, uh, so like for them to think about this for a couple of weeks, like th- these are the kinds of things I think are reactionary, but they don't think about what, like okay, they're justifying it to themselves in their own mind. Like yesterday, a perfect example. Yesterday it comes out UCLA has the story they're 100 million dollars in debt and that if they didn't get out of debt they were going to have to cut sports and that's the way that it was worded by their athletic director never in there is there any discussion about like oh maybe we change the way that we work our budget or we try and do things like this mm-hmm. it's like immediately we are going to tell you the worst case scenario this is why this is a good thing this is why we're going to do this and this is what we're avoiding by making this move we get one year in the big 10 all of a sudden we're out of debt you know mm-hmm. and I just I have an issue with that because you look at a school like UCLA that has paid has fired multiple coaches in the last handful of years uh, is probably staring down the barrel at having to fire another one uh, has had had to fire basketball coaches and hire basketball coaches and, and hire new ones had their whole apparel deal get blown up because of uh, a disagreement with Under Armour and all of a sudden you're sitting at, at, at staring at this pile of debt and it's like how do we get out of debt right now today. Well, we could go to the big 10, make twice as much money. Okay, cool. We're in the big 10. Now we're going to make a hundred million dollars. Oh, I've got bad news. We suck. We suck at football. We're going to get our asses kicked in football because we got to go to the Eastern time zone all the time and play 11 o'clock games. And uh, when you're on your nine o'clock in the morning body clock or whatever, you know, uh, we're going six and six, five and seven every year. Well, now what do we got to do? Well, we got to fire another coach. Okay. We got to fire another coach. We got to pay him $20 million to go away. Uh, and then we got to pay a bunch more money to bring in a new one. You got to hire all new assistants. You got to do all these kinds of things. And it's like, well, it's a good thing. We got a hundred million dollars now every year, but yeah, now we can't pay our, our freaking debt that we came in here with this entire thing. So it's like, it's all a big cycle of just like trying to justify immediate returns on things that I don't know necessarily are going to work out because at the end of the day, the people who run college athletics still spend their money in really freaking stupid ways, dude. Like, and that's what pisses me off about this at the end of the day is, yeah, UCLA is going to make $100 million, or USC is going to make $100 million, Nebraska, Rutgers, whoever. Rutgers are still going to freaking suck, dude. Like, and that's not going to change, you know. Like, I don't know. That was kind of a whole rant, but I, that these are like where my emotions are on these Mm -hmm. things is, is yeah. Okay. We're going to make a bunch more money. Well, the fans aren't going to benefit off of that. As of today, the athletes aren't going to benefit off of that. They're probably still going to raise ticket prices. The fans are probably still going to have to give money to collectives. The fans are probably going to have to pay for parking. They're going to pay more for food. They're going to have to do all these kinds of things. At what point? Do all of these benefits of going and making more money actually benefit someone besides the people who continue to get their salaries raised every year that continue to get country club memberships and free cars and go to park city, Utah, and have conventions with all of the athletic directors where they sit and have cocktail hours and all this shit. Like, that's what drives me crazy is when are you going to actually, when does the money actually mean something? When are you going to do something impactful with this? Because right now there's a lot of schools that are making a whole bunch of money. And it's not doing a damn thing for him besides making some people rich.
0: That's the end of my rant. There is a, thank you for coming to my Ted talk. Um, there is a, I was listening to a podcast. It's called cautionary tales. It's really good. It's a, it's a lot of history and then it's kind of overlays different things. And a lot, one of the, the episodes was talking about, um, a really unique phenomenon that was kind of happening. And what, it gave an example of back in, I think the 1200s, um, that is harder to explain without context but then gave a more modern example and so the principle that they were talking about is that individual at perfectly rational individual actions can make for really stupid group outcomes and so the example that they gave was this lecturer who actually ended up because of this experience going to research um this actual phenomenon itself as he was he was giving a guest lecture at a different university that he works at and he was standing kind of in the wings off stage where you can kind of only see the first few rows of the crowd. And um, all of a sudden the person who's introducing him starts to say, you know, professor XYZ has done whatever and starts to the intro and he looks out, there's nobody there. And uh, he goes, talking to people beside him, he goes, you know, is it, are, is this, are we supposed to be starting? Is it? Cause he can't see anyone there. And all of a sudden he kind of more or less gets shoved out on stage. And all of a sudden, there's 800 people in the auditorium, but the first 12 rows are completely empty. And he gets done doing his presentation and he come, walks off stage and he goes, that was really weird that you guys seated it that way. I mean, it was fine, but it was really strange. Like we didn't see anything. And so when you take it as an, in, at the individual level, then of a person who's going to a lecture who perhaps this, this person, um, this professor is going to ask questions from the stage. And you want to be as far back as you can to avoid getting those questions asked, or perhaps you want to be there are busy professors or other professionals that want to be able to get back to their classes or, or back to work so they wanna be by the exits or perhaps they just wanna be a little bit farther back so they can text on their phones or whatever it is into perfectly rational individual decisions left the first 13 rows of this thing completely unencumbered, And so as a group, that's dumb. It doesn't make any sense you should rope off the last 13 rows and push everybody forward. So back to this conference realignment stuff. For each individual, both humans and entities, all of these decisions make sense. But what happens is that the collective now starts to not make sense, is that you start to have a bigger overarching systematically. It doesn't make sense because each individual is making perfectly rational individual decisions. Now, I think there is a there's a way forward in this that actually isn't as shitty as the current is, because I think. Brent did a really good job on Chris and Brent's podcast. They did back on the first, I don't know. I listened to everything today because I didn't have internet much. So i whatever it was, I mean, Chris and Brent did their one. And one of the things they were saying is that you, if you're UCLA and USC, you can't drive to games anymore. So it kind of takes away the regional fun. Now, when, as a, as a note, which we're probably about 10 minutes into this, we're just giving an, a, an update because we have to status update when we're recording this, because stuff is changing so fast at the current moment. The Big Twelve is apparently actively interviewing um, the four Mountain schools plus Oregon and Washington today. To and this we're recording this on Wednesday around noon, and so that's happening right now. And so let's working with that set of facts. Um, if these schools, let's say that those six do end up coming to the Big Twelve. Then you have your Stanford's, your Cal's, your Oregon State's, your Washington State's. You have those schools that are still prevalent schools, which I would say, I feel bad for schools like Oregon State and Washington State because they are pretty similar to Iowa State. They just haven't had as much athletic success in the last 10 years as we have. But um, if you could imagine Washington State, which is a rabbit as a fan base as they generally are, I mean, they were good a couple of years and they've kind of taken a step back, but they haven't really had basketball success. So or women's basketball success or really any other, whatever. But I would imagine that fan base is a land grant institution is going to be pretty similar to Iowa state and how they go about doing everything. So we could be Washington state. We just happen to be in a situation where it's less likely that's going to be the case, but let's say those six schools from the Pac-12 come over you have you still have this rest of the group that's not going to be claimed you know there's not they're going to be orphans in the world of college athletics so they're going to try and latch on to something whether that's the Big 10 whether it's the ACC the Atlantic Coast Conference containing Oregon State or they're going to be you know what wh- however that happens and let's say that it shakes out to be the you know there there is an, another like if this moves there those schools will find a way home There there's, there's too much money not to be because you need content, whatever. And so then you end up with whether it's four conferences or three conferences or five conferences or whatever of essentially what people have been calling for, for 10 years, which is that the power five programs have the capacity then to separate and form their own thing. And I think that's one of the things that I'm interested in because these huge drastic things don't happen like that. You know, like you can't say like, Oh, the power five should go off and form their own thing. Well, how like the logistics of making that happen, you know, and someone said that in 2013 or whatever, what are the logistics of that happening? There is no way that these, you know, you have a hundred or 58 schools or whatever it is, ends up being in the top group that can just shake hands and go, Hey, you know what, everybody, we're going to jump off the boat at exactly the same time. And we're going to be totally fine. But if one person jumps off the boat, And then another person jumps off the boat and another person jumps off the boat. And by the time they've jumped off the boat, there's another raft waiting for them, or there's another ship waiting for them or whatever. Then it becomes much easier for other people to jump off the boat. And then they're all off the boat. So to bring this metaphor back a little bit more, I think if these six schools end up in the big 12, you pretty quickly have all of the power schools who have kind of conglomerated themselves into this one thing, which can form their own governing body which hopefully because it has already experienced the turbulence of having to go through this and all of the NIL and all the restrictions and all the NCAA being really really bad at doing what it says that it's going to be doing you can then have better bargaining position if you are the group of five teams that now that could potentially become their own league and i'm not saying this happens tomorrow i'm saying this is probably 3 or 5 or 10 years down the road but they then have They have separated themselves much more and they are much more unified in being able to do that. So once that happens, they would have a track record of the last it's called 10 years until it happens. So they would have had the last 10 years of this sort of being on their own type thing. And does use USC playing in Lincoln, Nebraska, or Piscataway, New Jersey, or in Ann Arbor, do those games still draw or do those games lose their interest? And if they still draw, then you're going to, pair your teams however the best matchups can potentially happen regardless of across the country because no one cares. I mean it's again ultimately got money. But let's say over the 10 years interceding between now and then that USC Michigan is kind of cool but USC Indiana doesn't matter. And so once you get the Power 5 group together, they I would imagine that it would happen at some point where you can then return it back to a normal sense where you can go the western pod of 15 teams, and then the Midwestern part of X number of teams. And you can start pairing based on region because everybody by this time would have had a collective bargaining of different media rights. You would have your own governing body that governs this group of five thing. You have better NIL regulation. You then have individual commissioners. It would sort of be like the AFC and the NFC in the NFL, as opposed to it being five or six completely different organizations that are loosely tied together by the NCAA. So the potential upshot here is that if this stuff happens it is more and more steps towards the the power five schools breaking and being in their own thing which allows them to create a better product faster and regulate the things better because you would have experienced the bad stuff that happened to get to this point we're just right now in a really uncomfortable transitionary stage before we get to that point my issue that
1: with that though is that i think a lot of that general premise requires people to act in a sense where they consider each other to be equals on some level. And I think that there are one, I mean, I think we know for certain that there are schools that don't act that way. And then I don't know that there are, well, there certainly are not conferences that act that way as well either. And that's where my, my thing is like, it's not a situation where, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to start forming these two things. And then, you know, you jump when you're ready to jump you know, and you can come and join us like Oregon and Washington can't just be part of the big 10 because they want to be part of the big 10 Iowa state, whoever can't be part of the big 10 because they like, they have to let you in, you know? And so if they're going to go and do their own thing and they're going to separate off, what's to stop them from just saying, no, F you, we're not letting anybody else in. It's us. It's these, whatever, I guess now, uh,
0: 32 schools and we're done
1: just like the NFL. I think that,
0: but I think the market has, the market would do that for them because, you know, again, talk about perfectly rational individual decisions. When you stop, I mean, how much when Iowa state is really good, you care about what happens to the big 10, you care about what happens to the sec, you care about what happens to the PAC 12 because you're starting to worry about what the playoff picture or the new year six or whatever, because there is some natural interest about the other things. If you remove the necessity of it being a nationwide network, then or, or the capacity for, of it being a nationwide network, the interest drastically stops because I don't care. I mean, Alabama is fun to watch and Ohio state is fun to watch, but if it has nothing to do with Iowa state, I'm, I might turn in on a Saturday and because there are so many other options with the NFL, there aren't, there isn't another thing that you can watch professional football. It is the only show. So you can't say we're going to be the only 32 schools, you know, whatever it is with the PAC or the the big 10 and the sec, and we're going to jump off and form our own thing. Cool. You're going to get great viewership in Columbus. You're going to get terrible viewership everywhere else. So these giant media deals that you're trying to get, no one's going to care. No one's going to subscribe to those things because it's sort of like the Ivy league right now. They don't really play outside the Ivy league. How much do you know about the Ivy league and football? Mm -hmm. Very little, nothing versus in a random year, you might know that UTSA, has a decent football team because they're playing in a bowl game or they're playing against some other school because they're starting to branch out. It is relatively national. And so I think the thing that would prevent into like the big 10 of the SEC from just breaking off on themselves is the market will substantially pull back if they do because no one's going to care. It's sort of like if, imagine if 65% of everyone got off of Twitter, how interesting would Twitter be? You know, like depending on who the 65% might actually want that. But if, if everybody stops, or if uh, here's another better example. If Uber and Lyft lost 65% of their drivers and it took you an hour and a half to get an Uber to where you were for a 15 minute ride, you would stop using Uber because the necessity of, the, the, you have to have it at scale. It cannot work without being at scale. And so I think college football, they recognize, they at least- the market will force them to recognize that they have to have at least some type of regional representation. And I think the power five schools over time, there's been enough of a gradual sea change that ball state and Alabama are technically playing at the same sport and they're technically playing in the same uh, division, but we all understand that they're not. And I think the power five schools have have over time separated to where we sort of understand that this group is different than this other group who isn't playing in that power five, power five stuff. So I think as long as you include most of the power five schools or, or uh, regional representation of the power five schools, you're going to be able to still draw interest because then you have, as an Iowa state fan, I would care what happens between Virginia tech and Syracuse if we might play them down the road, I'm gonna pay attention to Virginia Tech and Syracuse, or I'm gonna pay attention to Indiana and Vanderbilt maybe, but you know what I mean? Like where there is some type of reasonable action for me, a reasonable reason for me to pay attention to that because it concerns me. So I think what will prevent, again, to reiterate this, I think what will prevent people, the the big 10 and the SEC from just totally breaking off on their own is they're gonna draw really well locally but locally isn't good enough to substantiate the contracts that they're trying to get. You need to have a national brand. You need to have national recognition and a national audience for each one of the conferences to make enough money to make those decisions make sense.
1: Well, they want to create these national brands. I mean, again, it's similar to what the NFL has done, but what's the average viewership for an NFL football game on a, on a Sunday afternoon? Like it, A college game, a really good college game is getting a four in a rating. It's getting four million. The NFL gets drastically more than that for like an an average game between two average teams, you know. And that's where I don't understand why – there are these people that are trying to nationalize the sport in the way that they are, because it just, I think that it takes away from the general appeal of what college football is like what makes college football fun is when at, at its peak is when it's Iowa state and Kansas state playing against each other. And these two teams hate each other and they, the fan bases hate each other. And it's like, it's all because of regional distrust and, and hate that is disliked this that has been built up over a hundred years, you know? And I think that when you lose the things like that, you look at the Big Ten, like when you lose those things, like Nebraska, think how it is for them now where, you know, in the past, every week felt big because you were playing against someone that it's like, we hate losing to these people. Now every week for a Nebraska football game, it's like, who do we play this week? Oh, Illinois. Okay. Oh, Purdue. Okay. Northwestern. Okay. Unless you play Ohio State or you're playing Iowa or Michigan. Like how big of a deal is anything, you know? And when you take away that stuff and you take away all the history that I think makes college football great and try and, and you get away from those things, I think it's going to drastically hurt the product and it's going to hurt college football a lot more than what they realize. People are going to be like, man, maybe they don't care about college football as much as they did. And then the money that's coming into it is going to decrease
0: drastically because th- the interest is decreasing. Because and I think that's the thing that they're, that, that's going to be the biggest, um, that's going to be the biggest driver in action, not at this time period in conference realignment, but in the next period of conference realignment, because we're would have we we're forming these groups. And I think if the Big 12, again, if the Big 12 gets these six teams, and even if they get four of them and they don't get Oregon and Washington, um, now granted, Oregon and Washington would be really big in making it sure that the Pac-12 couldn't suck off Texas Tech and Oklahoma State or whatever. So if you can more or less crippled the PAC 12. And by taking those programs, then it really makes it a lot, it makes the big 12 position better. Uh, but let's say that they do get those six programs. Then you have a natural regional rivalry that like you can pretty quickly divide an East and a West. You know, you can get Texas Tech and TCU or whatever, plus Oklahoma State, and then your mountain and your Western schools. And then you've got a pretty, I mean, Texas Tech and Arizona State, that game matters. That regionally it matters. You're going to work with people that went to both schools. If you live in Lubbock or Phoenix or whatever, you're going to have a pretty good regional representation of that. UCF seems like they're kind of out in the cold here because there's no one really that's a national natural rival to them. Like maybe I don't, there's really no one. West Virginia, sorry. or Cincinnati. West Virginia. They're going to kind of sort, or Houston is going to kind yeah. of sort of be there, but there's not really that same kind of thing. So does Houston, or let's take a, Let's take that to a, a, a more prevalent. One. So let's say Baylor, because Baylor's a, a brand that if you are a casual fan from the Big Ten and you see that Baylor's playing someone, you might turn in because they're generally pretty good. So you know, you, you already know BYU and Baylor are gonna be rivals. That's like Ooh. that's a guarantee. That, the Mormons the Mormons and the Methodists?
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like I I thought Baylor was the Baptist. I guess oh, sorry. I Baylor
0: Baptist. Yeah, TCU is yeah. TC what Lutheran I don't know, whatever. I, it don't matter. Uh <laughs>
1: but no, you already know that Baylor and BYU are going to beef because they just like they're too similar to not fight with each other. That's you know? true. And <clears throat> you know that they've both just had They have a lot of weird things in their history and a lot of things that just (laughs) make them seem destined to really not like each other. And that's what like actually will be kind of fun about this is and this was even something like I tweeted about this yesterday, something that was fun about the last round of realignment is the rivalries that we ended up with are not the ones that you ever would have anticipated. Like Iowa State and West Virginia have a little bit of a rivalry here. But it's like, who would have ever thought that Iowa State and West Virginia would be one of the products of, of the last round of realignment, right. you know?
0: And so so that brings, that that kind of reinforces the point that I was going to say is, so the next 10, the next, between this round of realignment, whatever happens next, because we're not done. Even even as the dust settles for this round, it's that we're figuring out what to do in the future. It, that That's still what's going to happen. So between the dust settling on this round and then whatever happens next, you're going to have UCF versus Baylor. You're going to have that game that seemingly means nothing, but you're also going to have USC, UCLA, and you're also going to have Nebraska, Minnesota. And you're also going to have kind of these different pockets around the country that are games that should mean something and do have at least, I mean, Nebraska, Minnesota, I don't know how much history they have, but it's regional. So it's close. Yeah. Do those games draw as well? Because then if the games draw as well, then we would have to eat our crow and say, it doesn't really matter. We're, we're forming rivalries. We're forming West Virginia-Iowa State rivalries and this just happening and now that air travel's reasonable enough to go to whatever like I don't think how I don't know how many people from Baylor come to Ames to actually watch a game. I Ames fills the stadiums. We fill the stadium ourselves. And so it might not necessarily mean that traveling is that important, but it might mean that it is. And so we're going to have this little crucible of being able to look at the market of what it actually exists as. And seeing if regional if regionality matters or if regionality doesn't matter. What do the TV ratings say about a game between Baylor and UCF? Between now and and let's take games that haven't happened before but potentially could happen between BYU and Arizona State or you know they're they're not in conference but they probably played before Baylor or BYU and Arizona State. Better region still impactful. What does that game draw? You know, and so you still have just, you'd have all these different opportunities and points to say which ones are the best ones, because then you can start guiding that individual decision making, which does make sense, because then the Big 12 commissioner, which probably has Big 12 and the SEC, would probably have the best regional footprint then that actually makes sense within the divisions that they'd be playing. And you go, okay, which games are our best games and which games are our worst games? I would venture to say, and this might be a little bit, uh, I don't know if necessarily bad or whatever. I bet regionality matters less than quality, you know, like over time that the brand names that are, and brand names are consistently generated by consistent results where Iowa state is sort of crawling up that list where people have started to give more of a shit about Iowa state over the last five years than they had really at any time before, even in games like Iowa state and Kansas state, that game didn't draw in 2005 you know like it do, it it wasn't as important because mm-hmm. Iowa state wasn't carrying their weight in making it matter well now you have let's like Iowa state and not let's use a different example that's been consistently at least pretty good say like Penn State playing against some other school who's pretty good but uh is sort of not regionally around let's say Penn State is playing fill in the blank uh Utah mm-hmm. Penn State Utah is going to probably draw better than kansas state and kansas even though that's a really historical thing just because there is it matters so it starts drawing in other people but at what point does it not matter because i would they've probably got this capacity to do it is outside of your natural tv market how many people tune in yeah you know
1: well and again again it comes back to some of the these things are not going to matter that much or matter as much because like if Penn state is fourth or fifth in the East division or whatever they're going to do in the, in the big 10, you know, however they're going to split that up. But it's like, if you're a team that basically is just going seven and five every year, like how much do you really matter? You know, like do people care about that if you're the fourth best team in the big 10, you know, are they going to tune in to watch you play the fifth best team in the big 10 West? Yeah. We don't know. You get get what I'm saying? So it's like, it's one of those things where I just, I don't understand how, because again, someone's going to have to lose like how you can't just have everybody win. So then not every week, are you going to get these great matchups that you think you're going to get? Yeah. You're going to get some good ones, you know, Mm -hmm. and every week you'll probably have a couple good ones, but people have to lose. Like that's part of sports. Someone is always going to lose. And how long can you justify to your fans who are supposed to be paying attention? How long can you justify to your donors and things like that? Well, yeah, okay. We've gone two and ten the last ten years in football, and no one gives a shit. But at least we're getting a hundred million because we're part of it. Like, how long can you hand? How long can you justify that? Because then, how long can ESPN be like, man? These guys aren't carrying their weight, you know. Well,
0: that, but that assumes that I think that logic assumes that it's one not already happening, and two, the groups that are totally realigning are the ones that are bad, you know. Like, is. Do you like UCLA is a potential example of this? And I guess Rutgers is an example of before because Rutgers got picked up because of a TV market and they were decent at the time they got picked up or slightly around when they got picked up, when they were decent, but they're not anymore. And they got picked up because they were potentially good. And then they got they stay and they now suck with UCLA. They're getting picked up because their market is apparently good. Now do they suck? So what type of investment and frustration do those fans have? And as expressed by their actions and their dollars in the kind of the upcoming time that that's, I think, what's going to solve the problem. That's what's going to solve the question of, does it matter? Because if it doesn't matter and UCLA is going to come out, even though they're going to be three and nine, they have to travel, whatever, because they, they like their Bruins, then no one's going to listen. It doesn't, that message isn't being sent that we care specifically about the rivalries that we have. It's okay. We're going to come out and watch the Bruins because we're going to come out and watch the Bruins, which I don't think anybody's coming out to watch the Bruins anyway, which is why they were in their debt problem.
1: I think the best thing that could theoretically happen is a world in which you've got everybody together and you're negotiating the media rights together. You know what I'm saying? Like you're negotiating for every, every team and trying to figure out a way to make it work where it's like, okay, how can everybody make, you know, 50 million a year, or whatever it needs to be. Uh, and everybody gets the same amount. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't even, or you even can tear it or something like that, where it's like you're getting certain amounts based on what your s- success is in the director's cup or whatever the hell you want to do, you know? Uh, but it's like, how do you get people to play nice with each other? And, and how, that, that, that
0: won't happen now, but that no. can happen. If you do get your own, your the, again, the power five get together and then you start treating it like it's the collective bargaining agreement between the, the players association and the uh, NFL. But I don't think that it would be that type of collective, I don't think there's gonna be a player's union in college. I mean, maybe, maybe there is, but it's too transient. You, you're in and out too quickly to actually be able to have any type of leverage, but let's say you have the union that, or the, the, it starts becoming a collective bargaining between conferences, but now you have the SEC's point of view, you have the big 10's point of view, you have the big 12's point of view, and then let's say the ACC and the PAC 12 somehow just managed to get together and we'll call them the fourth conference and the fourth conference, you have those four points of view. So they do their collective bargaining together, which they then split based on whatever it is, but that can't happen now because the NCAA is governing everybody and they're including the non-power five schools. So you would have to somehow bring to the table, all those other disparate opinions with the NCAA being the one that does that bringing together, which is not going to happen. They are way too bureaucratic they're way too slow and they're way too old fashioned to actually be able to do it. But if you get these schools in a power five league of their own, you ins- and you're able to do that because I think they're going to recognize that that's a better way to do it because it's going to make everybody more money because when everybody's more competitive then at all all, the, the, it matters more. So I think that is ultimately what this is going to lead to. And I don't know if that's going to happen now or if it's going to happen later, but there's a reason why most sports have some type of collective agreement between them that is some kind of revenue sharing, regardless of what that looks like, because without it, you start having such a dearth of competitive, you have such a competitive advantage on one side and such a lack of competitiveness on the other side that it doesn't really matter. So I think, and, and like in England, it's relegation. So like in not England, in the, the European football, it's mm-hmm. the relegation is what does that for them where you got to be competitive in order to make it happen that's, I think potentially, you know, th- th- I think again, collective bargaining is probably what it's going to end up. Could, re- I think relegation could be really cool if the power five does get to its own thing. I think that would be a really fun add to it, but there is no way that the haves are going to introduce relegation and include the have nots because then it would potentially afflict the haves. So like, I'm not going to try, I'm not going to train my own replacement. Mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm going to keep it for myself, but it could be a fun thing. But, um, I think eventually you're going to get to a point where collective bargaining happens because they're going to recognize the importance of having an even amount of competitiveness amongst everybody to drive the whole product higher. So there is a bigger pie to me to take for me to take a smaller piece of instead of a small pie for me to take a bigger piece of. Yeah. I think just my biggest issue at
1: the end of the day is that I feel there is no leadership that is focused on the health and future of college football more than they're focused on getting their own bag. You know what I'm saying? Like I I think that there has to be people who are open to and are willing to lead and uh, be the ones that are going to step up and be like, Hey, we know that we want to make more money than those guys. But if we don't have those guys, the whole thing's going to fail or it's not going to fail. It's not going to, garner what we're expecting it to and then uh once it doesn't garner what we expect it to then we all make less money like we have to figure out a way to make this work you know and that's what is so frustrating is that there is nobody who sits there and is like we have to figure out a way to make this work they just are like okay what's our next move to make sure that we still make more money than those guys
0: i wonder if this is a situation where it's sort of a peacetime wartime thing. And what you're kind of making the, the proposition of is that's a peacetime decision where it feels like this is a wartime decision. I mean, again, let's not, not saying this is actual war, but the sort oh, of, no, you're like, right. You're right. This, this like, feels yeah. like a wartime situation where the decisions being made have to be made in your best interest until the dust is settled enough where we can collectively size up the bodies and look at the battlefield. So I think, You know, We're not going to get the Geneva Convention or treaty at Versailles. We're not going to get those things right now because there can't be enough time. If you're Oregon State, you want everybody to get together, say kumbaya, invite you to the party and get all together. But if you're someone like Indiana, you want the Big Ten to be as aggressive as you possibly can to consolidate as much as they can to make you as safe as they can. And then once everybody's sort of in a safe camp and all of the market has more or less been scooped up, then at that point, the dust would probably be settled enough for the cooler heads to prevail and say, okay, now how can we make this better as opposed to how can I make this better? Because I think this is over the past even 10 years, it's been so, it has been the splitting. I mean, again, I I keep coming back to this point. Inevitably, this is leading to the power fives forming their own group. It is the one cell sort of cleaving off and creating another one. And we're in the process of that meiosis of just getting two different things to be born of the same thing. Uh, So you've got right now, everybody's just trying to pick up the pieces and buy these different things and trying to grab and grab and grab and grab and grab. But then once all the grabs have more or less been done, and then the Big Ten has their 22 teams and the big 12 has their 18 and the sec has their 20 and the acc pac-12 have together they've got their 16 or whatever and then everybody goes okay do we have i mean pretty much everything set now how do we make this thing better and i think that's going to happen but it's not going to happen now because there is too much protection that's necessary because even i mean take the big 12 right now i feel more comfortable than i did last time but i don't feel super comfortable let's say so the, the on the other side of the coin, let's say Brett Yorm or is it Brett Yormark? Yormark, yeah. Yormark. Let's say Yormark tries to do this thing, doesn't end up happening. Oklahoma State gets picked off, Texas Tech gets picked off, BYU gets picked off, and they go to the Pac-12, and all of a sudden the Big 12 is now in a vulnerable position. We are not in a position right now for Brett Yormark to say, "Hey guys, let's all get together and just talk about what's best for all of us." It's saying, "I got to protect mine right now." Because this is the, it is too wild, it is too open, it's too everything for me to think about what's best for us. I got to think about me. And so there is, I think, going to come a time when that cleaving, that mitosis has happened between one between the NCA, the everybody, and then the group of five teams. And then once that dust is settled, then there's going to be rational heads that prevail. But I don't know when that's going to happen. I don't know. I, I think that's still a pretty far ways off because they have to get to the point where they're all sort of on solid footing before you can start looking at yourself as a group. So one of these days we're going to get a picture. It's going to be uh, Brett Yormark sitting
1: alongside uh, 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 Warren uh, from the, uh, from the Big Ten, and then uh, Greg Sankey from the SEC, and it's going to look like uh, FDR, w- Winston Churchill, and and Joseph Stalin getting together
0: <laughs> back in nineteen forty five.
1: Yeah, during World War II, they're coming together, getting ready to set up what what's going to come next, and it's going to be, and, and it'll basically be in that scenario, uh, George Claycock from the from the um, Pac twelve, and then the guy from uh, the ACC that sat along uh, Warren at the uh, during the Alliance, remember the, the Alliance, <laughs> the, the Alliance era, We are, all right,
0: you know, which we all rightfully scoffed at. Th- they're all Neville Chamberlain basically at this point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we have such great history polls. So it, using that, me- continuing that metaphor, cause I love that metaphor. I think right now we're still in the 1942 of this, where we got a ways to go before it gets settled enough to say that these group, this group is on the the firm footing settled side, and this group is on the unsettled side. But the Pac-12 right now is sort of at that point where they are either going to have to. the, I mean, they're they're not on the mat to mix metaphors. They're not on the mat knocked out yet, but they definitely just get got knocked down. And so, if the Big Twelve can go all John Jones and just go finish it, or somebody's going to take. You know, if they take the six teams out of the Pac-12, I think Stanford ends up in the Big Ten because that makes, uh, and that's natural rivalries and it would make sense. You get Cal to potentially could go to the Big Ten and all of a sudden there is no more Pac-12. And then at that point you go, okay, we are, we as a group are less unsettled than we were before because there are less free radicals floating around to try and do it. So I think we're in the 1942. We're not yet at 1945, but we will get to a point that we are in 1945. And if you are knowing any, if you know anything about history, 1945 on is not just peace and quiet and Kumbaya. It doesn't mean that it's necessarily everything's going to be good. It just means that the dust is going to be settled enough that you've got the capacity to make collective decisions as opposed to individual decisions.
1: We just spent a long time talking about World War II.
0: I think if, if someone's made it this long, they're going to keep up with that. And I apologize if you made it this long and you got lost, but I thought that was a pretty – it is a pretty reasonable thing. I was trying to find a business correlate to that, and um, there really isn't one. I mean there probably is as far as like big companies buying up other companies like the tech boom, the tech bubble in like the early two thousands where you have, you start having Google and whatever, and an Apple and and, and starting to consolidate everything. But then at that point, you just have those four entities that are sort of, uh, they have this, like this four domination on each other, but they don't collectively need each other as much as these, they don't play as much together as the other groups do you know so they do but at the same time they don't so i I think that's less of a a true carryover metaphor but i don't know i I just feel like ultimately to bring back and hit it at least a couple more times i think ultimately this is going to lead to the power five breaking off and forming their own governing thing which i think will ultimately be a good thing but i text this metaphor to you um when we were sort of talking about it is when you're making a stew a stew is sort of it's you know it's a long cooking thing and you cut up the potatoes and you cut up the onions and the meat and whatever and you put it in and it's pretty all raw uncooked and it kind of it kind of it doesn't smell great the broth is cooking a little bit and it, it kind of just smells like broth and i feel like we're sort of at that point as we're sort of still adding ingredients to the stew and then you got to let it cook for a little bit before you can know what's right and what's wrong and before you can really enjoy that it's there Ultimately, you're going to get a stew out of it. I think ultimately you're going to get the power five breaking off and forming their own thing. And it seems like the big 12 is going to be one of the drivers of that. But right now, if you were to try and take a bite of that, it does taste gross. Like it feels dirty that UCSC and UCLA are going to the Pac-12 and we're trying to poach Oregon to get to the big 12. Like uh, it seems like it's wrong. But at the same time, I think ultimately this will over time inevitably lead to a good thing but it's not a good thing right now because yeah, you are blowing up. I would much rather eat a raw carrot than a carrot that's been sitting in with raw beef and chicken stock. You know, like I'm not going to enjoy that at the moment, but ultimately it will all, it should all season together to make the right thing. Hopefully that seasoning doesn't take 30 years and hopefully people recognize that it's going to be, if you cook the stew for too long, then everything sucks. And it's ruined forever. But if you allow everything to mix in the right way, then you do have a reasonable – you have a better outcome than you started with, but it's gross to get there.
1: Okay, let's talk about the football side of this just really quick. USC and UCLA to the Big Ten. Uh, What's it going to be like the first time USC has to line up against the Wisconsin offense and sees – seven guys on the line of scrimmage and a fullback in the backfield? Are they going to be blown away, never seen this before in their lives, uh, have no way how to
0: defend any of these things? Well, they played Stanford, which is a... Yeah. I was just the, joking, but... The, yeah. the, the double fullback sets that Stanford pulled out were unlike anything the Big 12 could even imagine, or the Big 10 could even imagine. I think the thing, like the football aspect of it, usually you you, it's going to get buried. Right. And it's, it's not that the big 10 is exceptionally better, but they're a little bit better. I mean, when you give like the average, the average team in the big 10 is better than the average team in the Pac-12. I think the average team in, and, and you know, what, depending on how you want to take the average, like if you're taking a mean, you know, add up everybody's goodness and divide it by the number of things, then the big 10 is probably pretty good. Like it's probably, I don't know if it's necessarily the best one. If you were to take the median, of, you know, the, the middlest team, I would say the sec is probably good because their top and their upper middle, your old misses is probably at their average, but their bottom is pretty bad. Like their bottom brings the bottom down, but the big 12 is sort of in the middle of both of those things where they have a Kansas, but outside of Kansas, there's no awful teams, but But there's there's no great team. There's no, there's no Alabama or Ohio state in the big 12 as, as much as Oklahoma got close ish to that. So with you, but you look at the PAC 12 is they're, they're worse than all of those metrics. And so now you have UCLA who's not been good against that conference now having to go against better, better average competition and they have to travel forever. And you have big, you know, Fox is trying to make this big noon kickoff a thing. And you joked about it before, but if they have to do big noon kickoff in Ann Arbor, which is in the Eastern time zone, big noon kickoff for them is 8 a.m. So you're you're getting ready to what you, and what your body thinks is 4 a.m. when you wake up because you got to get wake up, get breakfast, get to the stadium, get warmed up, get taped up, whatever. You're waking up at essentially 4 a.m. Ultimately, will you have enough energy because the adrenaline is going to be there? Sure. But that's not going to be great. Now, USC, I think on the other side, they're with Lincoln Riley and what they're putting together. I think they're ultimately going to be pretty damn good. I think they're going to be able to recruit California really well. They're going to be able to. They're going to, I think Lincoln Riley's going to take USC back to what it needs to, but UCLA is, I think going to get buried and it's, and they're going to have to travel five hours to get buried versus USC is probably going to be a little bit on the better side of that, but I don't know if this is, it's a good deal for USC because they get these bigger matchups and they're going to be able to stand up to these bigger matchups yes. because I haven't, and I haven't cared about USC in a while, you know, like since the Reggie Bush, Lendale whites, they haven't been good enough to draw non-regional attention because the conference they've been playing in is, is worse. So now, as long as they're pretty, as long as they're Penn state good, then they're going to draw enough eyeballs because they're the matchups are going to be interesting. But USC UCLA, on the other hand, they're going to suck and the matchups aren't going to be very good. So that from a football standpoint, that is, they went from bad to worse just on the field. I think USC, is sort of freed of the pac 12 shittiness by being over there with now that they have Lincoln Riley.
1: I just can't wait for the first big noon kickoff. Iowa visiting the Coliseum for an 8am local time kickoff (laughs) (laughs) between the Hawkeyes and the Trojans, uh, there's 1100 fans in the stands because nobody wanted to come to the game anyway. And then everybody else is stuck in rush hour traffic in LA, downtown LA and can't get to the Frickett stadium. And uh, the flights haven't come in yet. Yeah. And all 1100 people in the stands are Iowa fans and that's it. <laughs> oh man. It's going to be awesome, man. It's going to be a hell of an atmosphere for, you for all of these football games.
0: They're going to have to, like, I think they're just going to be wise enough to, if they are going to do a big noon kickoff in, you know, yeah. And the, they put it at three o'clock, like, but it's just not me- noon then, then it's not big noon
1: anymore. Like, that's uh, what I'm saying. It doesn't make any sense for them to be, to do these things. Like it just makes no sense. This whole thing is, is really dumb, Jeff. Like it. And when people try and, you know, I was talking to my dad earlier and like, we're trying to, it's like, how do you justify these things? And like, how do you say like, Oh, well we got more money. How could we effectively use the money? There's no conversation of effectively using the money in a way to like be actually impactful and helpful. It's just like, well, now we have more money to waste. That's cool. basically what it comes down to. Yeah. Congratulations on going four and eight. At least you made your yeah. 100 million. I
0: th- and talking about football though, really quickly is I think if the, if the, again, if those six schools that are sort of being talked about at this moment, or even four of them come over, the big 12 is actually a fun conference to watch them, you know? And if I'm, I, mean, a I fan, think it will be fun anyway, but yeah. And if I'm a fan, which I am, and I get to go potentially like Aaron's uncle lives in just outside of you know 30 minutes outside of boulder we can go visit boulder like for when iowa state does end up going back out to colorado for the first time in 10 years uh i would go stay with stay with them because it's a fun place to actually i I want to go travel there i don't want to go to lubbock i don't want to go to waco i have friends that live in dallas i don't really care but you actually have the capacity to go to cool places and then those places have natural rivalries i'd go back to phoenix at any time because phoenix is a really cool place and so you have those schools that are that are that matter. And you have matchups that matter. Again, I think the sort of odd duck here is UCF is the one that doesn't really have a natural dance partner. And nobody wants to go to Orlando. Nobody wants to go there. No. I mean, anywhere else in Florida, fine. Just find me a coast. But like, even I think West Virginia has got to be smiling with, because then they would potentially get a division, you know, not potentially. If you get those, if you get six or even four, and you go to 16 or 18, you would 100% get divisions, and so then West Virginia's division would be they would guarantee they're going to travel across the country less. So they're going to get Cincinnati. They're going to get uh, the, the other schools that they're sort of expecting that they have been here without having to go all the way down to Texas Tech, you know, without having to go all the way down there all the time. So West Virginia gets a natural arrival in Cincinnati. Plus, they keep the ones that are sort of starting to bubble a little bit with um, Iowa State. So it, it, it's good for everybody. Just UCF sort of is the one that is kind of on the outside looking in as far as that they kind of don't make sense being a part of the conference but i think ultimately it would be a good it, those would be good additions what a world man what a world if we were to do this podcast next week it's a completely different conversation i still okay. think the inevitability conversation part of getting to a, the power five splitting off that stays but I don't. I mean, we're going to get news between now and the t- probably between the time we're recording this and the time you're listening to it. New information is probably going to come out. There's so. probably been new information while
1: we've been recording it. Frankly, uh, so who the hell knows? All right, man. We'll talk to you next week. Uh, do some actual football break down some positions and stuff like that. Big Twelve Media Days next week. Uh, are you excited for to to get the the
0: dog and pony show of Big Twelve Media Days? The, the Big 12 Media Days is really funny because there is clearly the, pe- the people that clearly want to talk, the media wants to talk to. And there are people that the media clearly does not want to talk to. So when we were down there, it was like, you know, Landry Jones and, and Colt McCoy. And then it's like, who wants to talk to me? And there's like, it's like you and Chris. And it's like, so what do you think about the season? And then you look over and you see you know, whoever is the whoever's the, the running back for Oklahoma state or something like that. And you look over, it's like, they got like 15 people talking to him. <laughs> There's two right. guys in front of the Iowa state guys. So I don't know. There's good information. I think we'll see how your Mark, the interesting part about big 12 media days, we'll see how your Mark starts to how open he is yeah, uh, and how, w- what his stance on things is. And um, hopefully he doesn't get, he doesn't go, we are interested pursuing all parties. And then that's it.
1: And then hopefully
0: he announces that Jay-Z will be performing at halftime with the Big 12 title game. Oh, what a connection.
1: What a connection. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Peace.